So here's what the Lord spoke, and as I was, it was just my personal devotion, he said, I want you to share this part. I thought, all right. So here it goes. So this week praying, and God said, people can no longer sit on the sidelines and play church. The attender attending church, the attender era is closing. Listen, the attender era is closing. That means for the people that just attend church to just attend and they're not sold out for the Lord, that era of acceptance and okay is closing with the Lord. There is a new season coming in where he says this. He says, the attender era is closing. And that, by the way, that's not unsaved. Let's just make that clear. Like, that's the person that says, I'm a Christian, but comes and just sits on their butt and doesn't do anything for the Lord. That's what he's talking about. He said, and the participator era has begun. God is calling his church to be active and engaged in church life every day sold out for him. So this is a decision-making time in our lives. Tell your people this and make sure they are aware that this change is coming. You will not be a church that is trying to make yourselves marketable for business. This, this is disgusting to me, says the Lord. Uh, my church is not a business. It is my kingdom. We are not trying to drum up business, build a client base, and make a profit. I am calling people to join my church repent of their sins, die to their self, and follow me. American-style church is not my way, and you will not operate as such. There's my fun devotional life. <laughs> so church, I hope you hear that. And when I was worshiping this morning, this verse came up in my heart. Um, and it's in um, Matthew 10, 33. And this is not in our thing, but I want to share this with you. Jesus speaking here in Matthew 10 says, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. Wait a minute. Happy Jesus. He's supposed to make us all happy and get everything we want, and we're just supposed to have a happy life. Jesus said, Don't imagine that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. This is Jesus, the word speaking, the creator if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Pretty intense, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm, I feel like not only is that a word for us just as general Christians, but it's a word for us at where we're at in our church. Because honestly, as a church, we are coming to a line in the sand. We are really coming to a point where we are going to find out who has God has called to this church and who are just attending the church, right? Because there's a point now where we won't be in this building much longer. In fact, does anyone have a bulletin I could borrow really quickly? Thank you. 
So on the back of your bulletins, I want to I wanna let you know something. On the back of the bulletins, there's a budget. We've had this budget on here ever since we've gotten here. We're, we, uh, I've chosen, me and my wife have chosen that whatever church we are leading, our, our, the monies are an open book. We don't, there, there's nothing hidden here. There's no, there, there's no hiding. There's no anything, no deception. So we've w- wanted this on the back so everyone can know what monies are brought in each month and, and all that stuff. So on the back, I want you to notice uh, for October, um, it has actual <coughs> $10,108 brought in, local 5033 and why we put both of those on there, we decided in council several months ago, uh, actually probably six months ago, to start looking at our budget from the church as local and actual, meaning local means what's brought in from the body. So everyone you see in here, and maybe that's not here, that's just at, you know gone this week, what do we bring and give to the body each month? And then the outside or the, um, the, the uh, actual means that that's what comes in above and beyond the local to that's outside the body so that means people that are no longer attending church here at all at all but are still giving either on a regular basis for a short time or just giving random gifts because god's telling them to okay so i want you to know that that right now um last month we brought in five thousand dollars and our baseline budget of operation at this church is eight thousand dollars okay so that didn't make it right? And that's not going to make it. That's one of the reasons we have to move, because if people in the church don't tithe faithfully, the church cannot function. And if that's okay, if that's what, you have to make that choice as an individual, if you're going to be, if you're going to trust God with your money and give, or you're not, and that's whatever, that's between you and God, right? Um, But you have to make that choice. But the reality of it all is if there's no moolah, there's no lights, there's no building, it doesn't function. And so we have to get out of the mentality that someone else will take care of it. Someone else will make the sacrifice. Someone else should do it, not me. I'm in a tough situation. Good? So we're not making it. So it, it, obviously we got to move because we have a 8,000 square foot building. We've got maybe 30 people in here, uh, 40 on a Sunday. Um, so we're not making it that way. So we're, we're looking very intently at some other places to rent for the day so that we could be, uh, save a lot of money, and then we'll build from whoever's left after the dust settles. Because I'm about drawing a line in the sand and saying, this is what God's saying, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to live as a church. If you want to do that, then let's go together and we'll make history. But if you want to sit and just sit in your chair and soak in and not do anything else in the church, then that's not going to fly. It's not going to operate that way. Not because I want to or saying it should or not. It's because it can't. That's not how God designed it. I talked before about the car and gasoline. A car is designed for gas to operate the engine. If you put water in a gas tank, you will destroy your car. And I, and I, with God, that's how he operates a lot. He's designed things to work a certain way. You will reap what you sow. So, it, you know, we take the bigger pictures of what's going on today in our society. We take homosexuality, and we get all worked up, and we think, oh, my gosh, you know, how do we, uh, can they be in the church? We get all freaked out. It's simple, guys. God did not design our bodies to be woman with woman. He designed them to be man with man. You have the freedom 
to do whatever you want with your body. You know what I meant. You know what I meant. He designed women and men to be together. That's the design. Bingo. You're like, what kind of church am I in right now? And you all know. You, 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 yeah. Woo. Like blasphemy, we all get up. The church is done. The, river, the rivers is now closed. But my point, church, is that God designed the body for certain things. And you have the freedom to go against God's design, his original intent. You can do that, but you have to suffer through the consequences of those choices. He's not mad at you if you have sex outside of marriage and get a disease. That's your choice. You choose that. He's not happy with you, not because he, he, hates, what you're, he hates the sin, but you're operating out of his design. And so you're going to have the natural consequences of that. And that's not just in, in the sexual arena. That's in every arena that God makes. If you do church, you've got to serve. You've got you to put others above yourself. And the best person in the church will be the servant of all. Right? Jesus said, I, didn't, I came to serve. I didn't come to lord it over you. I came to show you what a servant's like. So when there's, there's church rules that, that confine and fit that. In church, we need to decide as a church, what we're going to do. Because we are at a time, a line in the sand, that um, we're, we're going to cross over, and some people are going to cross, and some are not, and that's totally okay. And there's a lot of other churches, and, a lot, and, and we could, as a church, that people could decide, hey, this is a great time for me to exit. And, and that's your choice. But you need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is leading you and telling you what to do with your life because you belong to him. You do not belong to this church. You don't belong to me. We are a family we're, because we're Christians. We have the same father, right? That's why we're brothers and sisters. Now, if you fellowship here with us, that's awesome. If you fellowship somewhere else, that's awesome too. But it's in God's design. The Bible says that God places you in families. God puts you where he wants you to operate in, in that local body, at the time and seasons for your life as he sees it from his overall perspective. Are you with me? And so we need to choose today, um, and we need to make that line in our hearts to go, every time I get up, every morning I get up, we have a choice to follow God with everything or follow God partially. And for him, he's either Lord or he's not. God doesn't tolerate second place. He's not okay with you kind of being Christian or doing spiritual things. He's only okay with complete sacrifice to him your living body romans 12 1 and 2 as a living sacrifice to him all of it all or nothing does that sound fun it really is it's actually the joy in life when you learn like jesus said in matthew 10 that we just read if you want to get get a life you got to lose it so if you lose your life to christ that's when you really find true life <sighs> wow okay So we've been talking about, that took longer than I thought. Yeah, so let's see, where should we go here? Because I want to be cautious of this. I do want to talk about Job today. You know, we've been talking a lot about um, suffering, and we've been talking a lot about Job and the fact that we are trying to look at the concept of what God's really like. And it's so important that we see what God is really like because we, if we know what God's like, then in fact we can live out that in our life. 
And I want to show you a, a verse in Mark. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 10, 28. It's an interesting part in Scripture where we see suffering or persecution in the same breath as blessing. And a lot of times in the Christian life, we think of, we like limit ourselves. We all want blessing, but we don't want to say like, oh, well, if, it, if God wants us to be blessed, then we'll take it. But we can never stand in faith for blessing or we can never expect blessing from God but we can expect all the bad stuff because we're just suffering people that are, you know, we're just going to suffer for Jesus till he comes. But I thought this, this uh, part in Mark shows kind of the two at the same time, and I want to talk through that a little bit. So look at that. In Mark 10, 28, Jesus has uh, just talked about the eye of the needle, how it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they're like, oh my gosh, how, how is this even possible for anyone? And, God, and Jesus said, Without, with men it's impossible, with God all things are possible. And then Peter chimes in, you know, Peter always sticking his foot in his mouth, right? Always saying something just a little off or weird or, or awesome. Um, Peter says uh, to Jesus, see, Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. You know, kind of, hey, look, look what I did, you know. And, uh, and Jesus said this, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, comma, with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first. And I thought that was interesting that Jesus was telling Peter, because Peter said, look, I've surrendered it all. I've made you Lord of my life. I've given up all these things for you. I, I left my work and job. I've left my family. I've been traveling around with you, sleeping in weird places and doing all this crazy stuff. And, and I've done, I've left it all. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? You did. And you're going to reap blessing and provision and rich relationship here on earth, he said a hundredfold. So that's a pretty big blessing if you want to really get into your math, right? So this huge blessing that God's going to put in you as you sacrifice the things in your life that, that the world wants you to say, live for this. That's the world system. Live for this. White picket fence, 2.5 kids, a car, boat, all these things that, that say the world says this is what happiness is, when we give that up for the gospel's sake, for Christ, then we see that he wants to bless us back, but then he puts in with persecution. So I want you to understand that as we've talked about suffering, when it's for the gospel's sake, right, when, it, when, when we suffer or we go through trials for the gospel's sake, that's going to happen and we can count on that. That's much different than when we talked about before, which was suffering for other reasons, Right? We suffer for, uh, we're going to skip down to three. What are we suffering for? Um, under that, it's the, there's three arrows. The first arrow, well, we're going to suffer for the gospel's sake, or you can put God in there. And that's a given. We're all going to do that. If you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. Jesus promised it. You will be persecuted for the gospel's sake, right? And we've talked about that before. The next arrow is for self. So you're going to suffer because you're poor choices, Sowing and reaping, right? Whatever you sow in the ground, you're going to reap. You're going to make choices, and you're going to reap what that decision is in your body. And a lot of us want to go and say, oh, my gosh, we're, we're suffering, and I'm, I'm, I'm sick, or my knees hurt, and da-da-da. I was reading an article the other day talking about knees hurting. 
Did you know for every pound of weight you lose, you take four pounds of pressure off your joints? Can you imagine? I mean, so you take, you lose 20 pounds. 20 times four is 80 pounds of pressure off your knees and hips and ankles by losing the weight and being where God uh, has designed your body to be. I just thought, wow, that's interesting. Talk about us sowing and reaping. Here we are. If our bodies are carrying too much weight, we have pressure. And I know even the back, too. I know my back. When I fluctuated even 20 pounds on my weight, I can feel the difference in there. But there are some things we suffer for what we, what we sow and reap. And then the, the last four is location. You live in a fallen world. <laughs> You just, we're all in the same boat, we're all on a planet that has fallen to sin, and, and uh, Christ has redeemed us, but we are in a warfare, but because we live in this battleground, right, this spiritual battleground, and even physical battleground, there's going to be hurt and suffering and trials and temptations all in there because of where we live. What you have to do is you have to decipher for yourself what stage or what kind of suffering you're enduring or what type of trial that you're in and decipher and go, okay, is this, is this for the gospel's sake? Is this because, because I follow Christ with everything? Or is this for a choice that I've made in my past that I need to just buckle up and take care of it and learn from this? Or is this just something from being in this world that I'm having to go through as a lesson that God's teaching and grooming me and forming me to be a greater son and daughter for him? Okay, so there's a lot of things we have to look at. Um, you know, because you ask yourself, when will it end? Sometimes when you're in a suffering state or you're going through a trial, you go, oh God, how long? How long, and I mean, if you, we could probably tell stories if we went out in the room and said, hey, do you remember a time where you're like, oh my God, how much longer am I have to go through this and suffer? And uh, when we do that, and when we find your, ourselves in suffering, I want to give you a few perspectives of, of what you can maybe do to alleviate that. Because to, 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 if you don't recognize that you're in suffering and why you're in suffering and what's, what's going on, it, you can stay in it for a long time. You can actually be lost in that cycle over and over. And you can be in life thinking, you might even think you're suffering for God for the last 10 years, and the whole time it was a sowing and reaping principle in your life where you needed to get into alignment with God's word. Most of the time in this room, including me, a lot of our suffering and trials is because we're not in alignment with God's word. We break off of his holy powerful, discerning, life-giving word, and we get rebellious, we want to do things our own way, or follow our own lust of our own flesh and heart, and because of that, we get distracted and get off, and then we start suffering. When you're not, you know, we talked about, remember I brought in the skeleton with the vertebrae in the back, and your back just gets out of alignment one little bit, man, it can cause pain in your whole body. It's the same with the word, guys. When you don't align with God's word, if you're not meditating on it every day and night, trying to get your life in alignment with it, that's the goal, right? But if you get away from that and you, there's days and Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, and you're like, man, I really haven't meditated on Scripture in months. Well, you're inviting suffering to your life. You really are. Because our minds, our default is to go towards a place where God did not intend us to go because we live in that world. Sin is here. And if you go to default, you're going to go to bad, pain, hurt. But if you, if you renew your mind and you forcefully swim upstream, 
even though everyone else is just going with the flow, going with the world's flow, right? You turn and say, no, I'm going to follow God. It's harder. It's struggling. You have things in your way, but you follow him, you're going to find more peace and, and, and wholeness in your life from that. You've got to ask yourself this question when you're suffering, going through trials. What part is my responsibility? You've got to ask yourself that because too many people automatically just figure out based on traditions or the culture or their family history that because they're suffering, well, it's this. And, and they just excuse it and they don't recognize it so they live in this cycle of craziness because they won't recognize what is my responsibility in this suffering. And sometimes God may just be teaching you a lesson, but God will keep taking you through that lesson 101 over and over and over until you get it. So maybe your recognition of what you're going through right now is that you need to recognize that God's trying to teach me something and I need to focus on this concept or precept and get God's word on it and really get a hold of this because obviously I'm not aligning with him, therefore I keep going through the same cycle over and over. Are you with me? And that's a part of growing as a Christian, but a lot of Christians can get in the pattern where they just, they think they're doing what they're supposed to, but they, why am I keep suffering in the same circle? Anyone ever feel like, man, I, I, haven't we been down this road before? I've taken this class. I swear I've taken this class. But maybe we didn't learn, so we've got to take responsibility for that. Then we've got to ask God, what do you want me to do about it, and what does your word say? So when you take responsibility, you recognize how you're suffering and what it's about, then you ask God, hey, how do I get out of this? How do I learn what I need to learn? Because God doesn't want you to continually suffer, just like he didn't want Job in suffering for long. In fact, scholars say he, it was about nine months, give or take, right? And so God didn't want him in his suffering mode forever. That wasn't God's plan, even though as you read through Job, what, what three to 38, you see that his three friends going back and forth, and they're all speaking out of turn without knowledge, messing things up, and Job's getting himself deeper and deeper and deeper because Job wasn't recognizing and taking responsibility for the situation he was in. He was trying to justify himself. If you read through there, Job is constantly saying, I'm perfect. I'm right on. I don't know what you guys are all talking about. I haven't done nothing wrong. And, and I thought about this this week. Remember in the beginning of Job when he says, Job was a perfect and righteous man. And, and I thought, you know, Job probably wrote the book of Job. They, 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 they kind of que question who wrote Job. They really don't know. And they can do all the theories of how they, how they study and know the, the times and the, and the history, but they don't really know. And I was thinking, you know what? I bet Job did write Job. Because, you know, he, his whole, one of his major problems, you read through it, read through it, I, I promise you. It's like Job thought he was pretty right on. He thought he was got it all together. And so I would start my own book. Doug was a righteous man, <laughs> serving God with his whole heart. I mean, he was just, you know, he was better than most guys. It, think about that. I thought that's not a, you know, that's just my opinion. <laughs> so that brings the question to me, where, where did Job go wrong? You know, Job, Job thought he was pretty dang good. Um, if you look at the intro, like I said, and also, if you look at how he refers to himself, you get a good glimpse of what he thinks. Look at this in Job 9, 20 through 22. This is Job talking about himself, you know, re rebuttaling his friends. Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I am blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. It is all one thing. Therefore, I say, he, God, destroys the blameless 
and the wicked. So here's Job saying, I'm, I'm perfect, but obviously I can't prove this with God because he's all-powerful. So I conclude that God just hates both the blameless me and all the wicked people were the same. <laughs> it's like, what? Job, are you serious? Why are, what, what are you doing with your life if you think that you're that righteous? So it, let's look at some other verses. But, you know, Job thought um, he could be good enough um, on his own. And it's a common problem in, our, in our, our life today. I think throughout history, we all think that we can be good on our own. We all think we can somehow earn God's favor or love. Um, we can always think we're, we're and we always compare ourselves. You know, and I think Job started comparing himself. And you know why this verse sparked this thought in me when I was reading through Job. Job 13, 26 said this. He said, for you write bitter things against me, talking to God, and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. I was like, wait a minute. He's calling himself blameless and perfect, but he's admitting right here that I screwed up when I was younger. And isn't that America? Oh, yeah, when I was young, I partied, smoked, did all dope and crud, but, but now, you know, I've got my life together. And, and so what, what that causes is like, yeah, I, I screwed up then, but now I'm living, I'm doing the right thing. Remember Job in the beginning. Oh, my kid's messed up. I better go sacrifice. So he sacrificed. He did what great, 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 great grandpa Adam told him all the stories, right? Hey, we blew it. You know, the devil came in. We did a bad thing. God brought in a sacrifice, showed us how to sacrifice, and gave us a few uh, things to do. And so he's heard that story down through the time. So he, he's trying to go through the motions of being religious and trying to please God. But what he really gets into is comparing himself to others. Hey, I blew it when I was young, but I'm righteous now, and I'm certainly better than that guy. And a lot of us do that today where we're just... We're, there's so many other people, well, I, I'm not a murderer. Haven't you ever heard that when you're trying to witness to somebody or even with Christians? Like, yeah, your life not, might be sold out to Jesus Christ, but you're sure better than that guy. Because, yeah, yeah, he stole from work. And, and I'm better than this guy because, man, he, he, he was divorced. Are, are you with me? So Job, uh, number one there in your feelings, he, he started comparing himself to others, and that equaled or produced a performing attitude for God. Because he thought, well, I'm better than so-and-so, and, -so, and I'm compar he's comparing himself to his three friends, he's comparing himself to the world in general, and all the wicked, evil people out there, look how great I am. And he started comparing himself and trying to justify himself before God by his comparison and the fact that he was better, and thus he went right back into the works salvation mode and said, I can perform for God. And you know what? No one can perform for God. You can never perform good enough for God. As hard as you try and as long as you try, you can never do enough good in yourself. The Bible says we're all righteous. There's no not one of us righteous on our own. We are all unrighteous like filthy, dirty rags. We all deserve death. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We can't do it. And so Job, though, had this idea that if I could be better than most, then God would accept me. And I want you to know performance is not a way to go with God. Per, uh, comparing to other people produces performance and God does not base his love for you, his acceptance for you on how you act. If he did that, we'd all be in trouble. He bases his love for you, heaven for you, everything for you based on what Christ performed. Christ performed. 
for you in your place so that you wouldn't have to live life always trying to perform for God. Always trying to earn his way by doing your devotions a little more, trying to do this, doing that, all these works to try and earn. No, 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 no. God said, look, Jesus already did all that. You, you're free. Your debt's been paid. All off, you're free. Now just be with me. It's not about works. Galatians 3 says this. This is a good, cha- a good book to read. Galatians 3 says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Galatians started off in faith. They started in the Spirit. They got filled with the Spirit and saved. And then as time rolled by, like with all of us, we kind of sink back to our default which is to earn and try and have us something that we can say, I did this. I'm good. I did a good work, then God should love me. And that's just plain old, plain old sin. Well, we looked at Job. Let's quickly look and we'll end where Job's friends went wrong. You know, Job's friends thought he was the worst. Um, you know, it's that mentality. I mean, they accused Job of all the bad things they could, man. He, you know, in their eyes, well, Job, look what happened to you. All your kids died. All your houses collapsed. Your sheeps are gone. Your servants are killed. I mean, he got decimated. And in their eyes, they thought instead of comparing to Job, their eyes said, just don't be the worst. Just don't be the worst sinner because God will judge. You obviously are one of the worst sinners because look what happened in your life. Listen to what they said in Job 22, verse 5. Is not your wickedness great? And in your iniquity with, is, is not your iniquity without end? For you have taken pledges from your, your brother for no reason and stripped the naked of their clothing. They're accusing Job of these things. You have not given the, the weary water to drink and you have withheld bread from the hungry, but the mighty man possessed the land and the honorable man dwelt in it. You have sent widows away empty. And the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you, and sudden fear uh, troubles you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and an abundance of water covers you. Here they're looking at Job saying, look what you've done. You are so wicked. They were saying, look, hey, don't be the worst of sinners. Kind of opposite was Job was saying. Is he was trying to compare himself, saying, I'm better than them. They were saying, just don't be really even, you'll be good. You could, see, they thought their view of God back then that he wasn't a present God. He wasn't a personal God. In fact, in Job 22, uh, they, the friends said this. They said, you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds cover him so he cannot see us. And he walks above the circle of heaven. So the thinking back there was that God was so far off. You've heard that with people. Oh yeah, God created the world. And now he's, off, he's too busy for me. He's, he's just, he's in charge of a lot of things. He doesn't have time for little old me. He's probably not even doing, he's probably got a bunch of earths going on and people and problems. The last thing he's going to think about is me, but just don't be super bad. You know, just don't, don't be the murderer guy and then you'll be okay. That kind of thinking. You ever, you ever compared that to a lot of people with their dads? They, if they don't have a relationship with their dad, they get this concept that God is far away and that God is not close and personal and wants intimacy with you. And so these friends got on a, a kick where, number one, fill in there is distance created criticism. 
and especially on God's people. They thought because God was distant in a way, that produced in them, they could start criticizing themselves and making judgments about the people of God. And oh boy, did they do that to Job. They thought, oh, God's away, he's not even here, but man, Job, you're doing this, and look, we've learned, we're smart, we know all this stuff, we, our fathers have told us, and they started criticizing Job, and remember at the end, God rebuked all of them, actually, but he did rebuke the three friends and said, what are you saying? You don't even know what you're talking about. And so, and so we see that in these people where distance created that criticism of, of people, and, and when you're not around Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, you're going to find yourself, it's much more easy to start criticizing other people. But when, the more you're around Jesus, the closer you get to him, the more you read his word, you're going, to, you're going to find it more, it's going to be harder to criticize others because you know you have a better perspective of what Jesus has really done for you in your life and who he really is and really his, his attitude towards you. He's not a distant God. He's one that wants to draw near and close. And when he's close to you, you go, man, I don't want to criticize others. Look what he's done in my life and helped me through. Are you with me? So when you're caught in that, um, where can you go? Where can, where can, where can we go right in, in when we're in these times? You know, it's, it's pretty simple, and we're going to get into it more next week. But James says, if I humble myself, uh, see uh, letter one there for fill-ins, if I humble myself, he will lift me up. It's about humility. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Part of understanding when you're in a situation of suffering is you've got to take responsibility and, and go, hey, what kind of suffering is this? What am I doing? Is there a lesson I need to learn, or is this just suffering for Christ, for the name of Jesus, which is very rare in our country that we actually do suffer for his namesake? Um, hopefully that doesn't get worse, but it could. I mean, it's happened throughout history, right? So we got to be ready for that. But most of the time, we suffer because we don't recognize uh, what we're doing. What's the number one step, step in recovery programs? Anyone do it? Huh? Admitting? So recognizing and admitting you have a problem. I mean, that's the first step. And I think with us, it's the first step to our getting whole and freer is if we can recognize and admit going, oh, God, man, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a tough situation. I've got this, this cycle that I feel like I've been stuck in forever and going, God, something's wrong here. I know that, God, there is suffering, but I know you don't want me in this state for as long as I've been here. What am I not getting? You know, King David said, examine my heart, search me, know me, God, see if there's any wicked way. Wicked means twisted. See if there's anything twisted in my thinking, God, that's not causing me to see, God, what you want for me. And I've, I've been in this cycle. And the longer you're in a cycle, you've got to go, hey, wait a minute, this isn't God's plan forever, right? Some people think, oh, I'm just called to suffer for the rest of my life. No, that's not God's plan for you. He wants you to learn and grow, but sometimes, most of the time, we've got to humble ourselves and say, God, teach me, I'm, I'm missing it. And when Job did that, he got immediate freedom, and we'll look at that more in the, in the coming weeks. You know, the one thing I want to close with is that Job, Job recognized, though, that he needed a mediator, which is really cool. And even that he was calling himself righteous and making his arguments, Job knew that he needed a mediator. In Job 16, 21, he says, Oh, that someone might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. And he says in Job 9, too, he said, Now, is there any mediator between us who may lay his hands on both of us? 
let him take his rod away from me and do not let dread uh, of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him. Talking about having a mediator. Uh, verse 19, or Job 19.25, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that I shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that, in, that my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another. Job knew that he needed a redeemer, a mediator between him and God. And that was, prob that was uh, before the law was given, uh, probably about 2,000 years or so after Adam, before it was really even made known. But jo uh, Job knew that a mediator was come. Remember what it says in Genesis 3.14. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and God was giving judgment, he said this, because you have done this, Adam and Eve, you are cursed more than all the, or he, actually he cursed the serpent. And the serpent, because isn't it cool that God's first uh, rebuke was not to Adam and Eve, but it was to the serpent? He started with him. And he said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you uh, shall bruise his heel. Talking about the Redeemer. And Job heard that story. Job heard that story from his great-great-grandparents over time, and he may not have gotten it clear, and it may have got blurred through translations. They didn't have awesome, all the Bibles that we have online and written and all that great so we can read and know, but he knew from stories passed down that there was a Redeemer coming. There was someone going to come and mediate between him and man, and he needed that. Hebrews 14 says that we have a high priest, and his name's Jesus, and he suffered. Listen, I want you to listen to this, and I promise we'll close. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with your weaknesses, but Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. And guys, I want you to know today that you have a mediator, you have a high priest that has been suffering in every way that you are going through trials right now, in every facet of your trial, whether it's, you know, relationally, whether it's with your work or financially, no matter what it is, Jesus has gone through those same exact suffering and trials, and he wants to walk with you through those today. But you've got to let him. You've got to do what he's called you to do and not what you think is best. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for your powerful word. God, we thank you, God, that you are a God who uh, has compassion on us. And Lord, that Jesus, you know our sufferings. Jesus, you know what we've been through. You know the, the heartaches we, uh, we have even right now. And just close your eyes. And I just want you to think about God right now and picture Christ being crucified for you to help you overcome what you're going through now. Some of you are, are, have a heavy relational burden and suffering on your heart and mind right now, whether it's with a family member or a spouse uh, or someone that's close to you, a friend. You have a deep burden. You feel like, you, you feel, there's, there's someone here this morning that, that's feeling that they've been going through this burden of suffering with that close person for years. And, and I want you to know that Jesus understands how you feel. He, he knows what it's like. Um, he's suffered in the same way you have, and he wants to help you through this.
but there takes a submission to that. And so right now, Father, I just pray for whoever that is. You know if that's you, if that's you, you just receive this prayer in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for each person that is going through a trial or a suffering with a loved one, a spouse, a brother or sister or a friend, God, that has been a strained relationship for years, Lord. And I just pray, Father, for them right now that you would help them to be reconciled, God, that you would give them the passion and that Jesus, as the high priest, would you help us walk through this? Would you show us the light? Would you show us and lead us into all truth? Jesus, would you show us that there is a way out? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says there's no temptation that except what is common to man. And God, you said you're faithful. You'll always help us, always show us a way out of our struggle, our trial, if we'll give our hearts and our lives to you. Oh, Jesus, we love you this morning. And God, we ask that you would minister to each of us this week um, to make you complete, Lord. Father, that we ask today that you would help us to step over that line, Lord, to come into 100% submission to you. Father, because we know that the season we're going to is not, is not a season where we can sit and watch, but it's a season that we must enter in. We must press in. We must be part of the body that's working towards what you want in your kingdom, God. We cannot be um, observers, God. We cannot be sideliners, God. We have to get in the game. And so, Father, I'm asking, God, for your awesome, loving voice to speak deep to our hearts about the next season coming up, God. Ready our hearts for whatever it is that may lie before us, God. You know we don't, but we trust you. And so, God, we pray this, Lord. And Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know Christ and you would like to ask him into your heart or maybe recommit your life this morning, if there's anyone here this morning that would say, you know, Pastor Doug, that's me. I, I want to step over that line maybe for the first time. And I want to know Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anyone here this morning say, yep, that's me. Pastor, I need to step over that line and make a commitment, a solid commitment to Christ. Or maybe it's, I need to recommit my life. I've been living for me more than I've been living for him. If that's you, raise your hand and we're going to pray with you. Anyone here this morning want to do that? I always want to get that opportunity for, to make a decision. It's called an altar. It's called a place of where you make decisions. You've got to lay it down. God calls us all to lay it down at the altar and say, God, I'm yours 100%. Anyone here this morning? Well, Father, go with us this week. Fill us with your spirit and help us be more like you. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.